it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Just Welcome to another edition of For the Good of the Game at Bruce Dublin. We've got what uh, may be one of the greatest players, male or female, that's ever played this game. Do you know what she was doing this weekend? I got a pretty good idea. I know she lives out there in uh, in the valley in California. So, and there was a men's golf tournament there. I wonder what she, she was probably going to see all of her old friends. What a spectacular career this lady has had! Six major championships. 41 victories, 35 of them on the LPGA Tour. And it is indeed a great pleasure to have Patty Sheehan with us today. Patty, welcome. Mike and I have been looking forward to this for a long time. Well, thank you, Bruce. And I'm just I'm so honored that the two of you would ask me to be on your podcast. And, um, you know, I'll try my best to remember as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Don't worry. <laughs> We will prompt you with uh, with certain facts that may help you, but uh, why don't you tell our listeners, uh, and, and maybe those listening 50 years from now won't care as much, but it's kind of cool what you did this weekend. Oh, well, this weekend, uh, the the men's champions tour, the PGA champions tour was here in Mission Hills, and I own a little condo here, and uh, we certainly miss, um, you know, the dinosaur tournament being here um you know that's that was a a real bummer that it left but it was replaced by the champions tour and um i got to go and uh, be a volunteer i signed up to be a volunteer and i was a walking scorer for the week and uh really enjoyed seeing the guys uh, met some new guys and uh you know was a real uh, pleasure to watch really good golf i i really enjoyed it i it was funny because you know I haven't I haven't really played in uh competitively in like 23 years so I haven't I don't have that built up concentration length of time so in about 3 hours into the you know doing all of my inputting of the statistics and stuff I started to mess up and I'm like oh no I'm losing my concentration <laughs> so. I had to call Scoring Central a, f- a few times to correct a couple of things, but <laughs> it was so fun, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, that's great of you to do something like that. Yeah, it sure is. So as you know, we sort of start at the beginning with these stories of all these golf greats, and uh, of course you're joining Kathy Whitworth and Joanne Carner and Judy Rankin and Sandy Haney and all the ones that came before you. And so, uh, as Bruce said, delighted to have you. Why don't you just take us back to the very beginning, growing up, uh, born in Vermont, and take us through what life was like growing up as a little girl out there. Ah, yeah, I was uh, I was born in Middlebury, Vermont. Um, my parents are from Vermont originally. They met in the seventh grade, and um, my mom fell in love with my dad because uh, his parents were uh, bakery bakers. And every day he'd come to school smelling like donuts. So she thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she liked that. And uh, so they uh, they got together uh, from the very beginning in seventh grade and uh, uh, never really left Vermont for a long time. Um, they were, both were skiers. Um, they both loved to play golf. And they were all, uh, my dad was a good baseball player and football player. And I mean, he was just a great athlete. And my mom was a good athlete too. Um, 
So I got real lucky um, with some genetics there, and um, I was I was the fourth of four kids, and I was the only girl. So I grew up with three older brothers, um, and you can imagine, like Pat Bradley, having to <laughs> having to you know fight your way into the the pack. Um, it was fun though. I, I loved having three older brothers. They were great. Great for me and uh, so supportive. Um, but I was born in Middlebury uh, in the middle of a football game in which my dad was the running back coach at Middlebury College. And so they announced my arrival on the PA system at halftime. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Little and, did they uh, know. And the, the, the crowd of about 35 people cheered like hell. <laughs> Bobo finally got a little girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that was that was, uh, I guess, a pretty big moment in his life. Uh, he probably had no idea if he was having a boy or a girl way back when. Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, that was how I came into the world, and uh, having three older brothers was great. I I had tried to intimidate or in, in, imitate everything that they did because they were all very good um, in sports too. Uh, none of us were good at school. Um, none of us graduated college, um, but we all survived and had great careers doing different things. So um, thank goodness I had three older brothers that um, I could, you know, learn a lot from. And, and you know, it was both good and bad. There were, there were times when my brothers made really bad decisions that I learned from. And uh, so <laughs> yeah. I kind of grew up <laughs> sort of a little goody two-shoes because my brothers taught me a lot of the really dumb things to avoid. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there you go. I think I taught my sister a few stupid things as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but I, um, I learned how to ski. My dad was an Olympic uh, ski coach in 1956 over in Cortina, Italy. And as a matter of fact, that's where I was conceived. Um but I was born into a ski family, and uh, my first love was ski racing. So yeah. when I was little, I was, um, I, was, I was about four years old, and I went in my first ski race. It was a lollipop race, and if you finished the, the race, you got a lollipop, and that was my yeah. first trophy. Ah. So <laughs> um, I was always um, – uh, sort of motivated by food, I guess, from then on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had the donut connection, you know, so. That's donuts, right. A lot of sugar in this family. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where I started ski racing was back in Vermont. And um, as uh, a lot of people know, the Vermont um, snow is not really snow, it's ice. And you ski on ice, you race on ice, and um, you, you learn how to use your edges in skiing. So, yeah. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, trying to emulate my brothers in ski racing. They were all so into racing. And, um, so I just sort of progressed along. Um, and then, uh, um, about the same time, three or four, I, I started playing golf, which I don't know if I could really say that I played golf. I had a two iron that was cut down. My dad cut it down. And um, my parents loved the game of golf, and they would take me to the course, which was only less than a mile from our house. And um, they would take me for two holes. You know, I was three or four years old, had had one club, and um, my mom had a little seat on the back of her pull cart. So when I got tired, I'd sit down and go for a ride. <laughs> and uh, 
So I learned how to drive, chip, putt, and do everything else in between with a two iron. And um, Not many of them around today, by the way. There aren't many of them around, and um, no wonder I didn't like the game very much at that time. <laughs> I couldn't have picked a harder club to start with, huh? Well, you know, I think it was one that Dad didn't like, so he said, let's cut this one down, get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they took you around, and uh, uh, was there much teaching, or was it more just as a, as at that age, just come out and have fun with us? Yeah, come out and have fun. Uh, they put me in um, little you know, beginner classes with the, some of the other kids. There was probably three or four of us, uh, which is pretty a lot for Middlebury College. Um, and I got taught initially by the pro there. Um, and it, the, it was, they were half hour, um, half hour lessons. And the biggest thing that I remember about that was hitting the balls as fast as we could and then go running and picking up the balls as fast as we could. And the, you know, the first one done got a, I don't know, a, a prize of some sort, but it was always uh, you know, competition from the very beginning. So yeah. um, that's how I um, learned a little bit about golf, but I think primarily my biggest teacher was my mom. Um, I caddied for her uh, starting at about the age of seven or eight. And I caddied for her, and she would play in, you know, ladies' day tournaments and things, and I'd pull her cart and learn about etiquette and rules and, um, you know, really just how to be uh, social with your players. And um, so I think she probably taught me more initially about golf than anybody else. So, you know, you're the 69th great player that we've had the pleasure of uh, having on this podcast. And I might say you're the only one that had skiing as their first sport. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I don't know. Have you had Pat Bradley on yet? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet, but we... We we hope to get her on soon. Yeah, yeah. She might have. She might tell you a similar story. Her her parents owned a ski shop, like my parents owned a ski shop, and ah. her brother ski raced, and she ski raced. And I mean, it's we're very parallel in a lot of things that um, we did as kids. Ah, that's great. So yeah. I mean, you were a you were a top junior snow skier uh, at a young age, you know, up till age thirteen or so. So when did when did golf kind of start competing on a more equal plane with your skiing career? Well, we we moved west when I was ten years old. Um, we moved from Middlebury to uh, basically Lake Tahoe, California, and um, when I was ten, uh, ten and eleven. I went from being uh, four or five, which is the youngest kids, to um, competing with uh, 14 and 15-year-olds my first year that I was out there because I had all this, you know, great training in Vermont. I knew how to, you know, ski fast and, you know, like my dad would always say, go like hell. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I, I progressed really quickly out there. Um, so when I was like 12, um, I got bumped up to the 16 and 17 year olds. So I was skiing with 16 and 17 year olds when I was 13. Um, and I was, you know, I was kind of holding my own. I obviously didn't win too many races when I was that, that age, but 
they didn't like me at all. Those sixteen and seventeen year olds, <laughs> no. and thirteen year old out there, I you bet. know, doing pretty well. And um, yeah. so I didn't have a lot of friends, you know, in ah, that in that yeah. time frame uh, when I was ski racing. So um, I had, you know, I didn't wasn't having any fun anymore, and I was having a tough time figuring out whether I should continue. And I kept thinking, oh, man, dad's going to be so upset when I tell him I don't want to ski race anymore. So finally, one day I got up enough nerve at 13. Uh, and I said, dad, I don't want to ski race anymore. And he says that was the greatest day of his life because he didn't have to <laughs> up and freeze his ass off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah, so. That's how I kind of got switched over. I, I had been playing golf a little bit uh, up until then. And once I quit ski racing, I didn't have anything going on uh, competitively mm-hmm. for me. And I realized that I really enjoyed competition. The competition. Yeah. And um, so I uh, we lived next to a golf course in Reno. We had moved to Reno. And we lived next to a golf course there, and we became members. And I started playing in the summer after I quit ski racing because I realized I was sitting around the pool eating cheeseburgers and fries, getting kind of chubby. And uh, I thought, you know, I got to do something a little more active. So I would go out and I'd hit balls and stuff at the range. And my my mom would take me, you know, for nine holes or whatever. And, um, uh, I, I can remember just about that age of playing with my mom and dad. And um, my dad was like a six and my mom was like an 18 or something. And so I was playing with them one day and I, you know, I was, I'd get mad at myself for missing a shot. You know, I thought I was, should be better than I was. <laughs> and so I, I hit a shot into a bunker um, on the fourth hole of our course. And, uh, you know, I hit a, lousy shot out or I didn't get out or something. And I was mad and I just walked out of the bunker and picked up my bag and said, my, my dad says, wait a minute, you get back in there and you rake that bunker before right. you do anything else. And, uh, so I'm like, Ooh, I guess I overstepped my bounds. I need to, <laughs> need to, need to smarten up here. And, um, so I, you know, I was put in my place and I was taught a quick lesson. Um, that you just can't, you know, it's not your golf course. You need to take care of it. Yeah. And so, um, so I went back in there and, you know, raked it best I could and carried on. And, um, you know, it probably was a little quiet after that, but, you know, it was a good lesson. And, um, and my parents were really good at <laughs> making Giving you lessons. <laughs> I was learning good lessons. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Mm. So you you competed uh, at a pretty high level in a couple of individual sports. Did you play any team sports growing up? I did. I loved team sports. I played, you know, in in junior high school and uh, in high school, I played basketball and volleyball and I ran track and um, I, you know, I tried to do as much as I could because, you know, what else am I going to do? So yeah. I, I did all the sports and loved them. And, you know, when I was a kid in Vermont, we grew up with, sporting equipment and that's all we had for toys so uh, i was pretty uh pretty spoiled in that regard um yeah i I learned how to pole vault my brother was a great pole vaulter he won the 
Vermont State pole vault championship in high school. And so we had pole vaulting pit in the backyard and <laughs> I mean, just weird stuff like that. Um, Ski jump. Yeah, well, we didn't have a ski jump, but we tried. Um, you know, there were times when we had enough snow and, and we had, did have a little hill. We tried to, to ski jump, but we had a ski jump up at uh, Middlebury College Snowbowl, and um, it was a 50-meter, which is pretty big, and um, yeah. we all used to jump off of it. So, Yeah. It was, well, the uh, reason, reason we ask about the you know, team sports, individual sports, uh, a lot of these folks that we've talked to, they did sort of gravitate toward the solitude of golf at some point uh, as a youngster. Like you uh-huh. mentioned, being kind of hard to make ski friends when you're competing against kids three, four years older than you. Yeah. But at some point, they just uh, people love the solitude of of, uh, of of the game of golf. The game. Yeah, I you know it's interesting. I I really didn't like you know wasn't really madly in love with golf when I was a uh, early teenager. Um. But I realized that I could compete with the rest of the girls in town and beat them a lot of times. And I really enjoyed winning. Um, and That's just a like good I habit. Enjoyed e-racing, <laughs> I enjoyed winning in golf. Yeah. So I sort of gravitated that way, you know, fairly early in my teenage years. Uh, and then um, uh, when I was... Uh, see, 15, I guess, um, Title IX came about. Sure, yeah. Right. And we were, I was a, a sophomore in high school when, when we got Title IX, and we were able to put together a golf team and play around the state. And that was a big deal for for women. And uh, I was just, you know, I was on the, the ground floor of that um, happening, and it, it was really I didn't really realize what a big deal it was yeah. until later on. And, 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 uh, so that was, that was cool. I mean, we put together a team. We won, I won three straight high school championships and, um, my team was right there behind me and it was, it was great fun. I love that. And, um, I'll never forget. We played a nine hole match down in Carson, Carson city, which is about 40 minutes away from Reno. We played in the afternoon after yeah, after school, and then we got back to town, and um, I played in a, a a girls' powder puff football game. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> after that, so it was fun. I mean, I went from an individual sport to a team sport like within seconds, and yeah. Uh, yeah. just had a blast. I mean, I really enjoyed the girls that we all played with, and the the girls that wanted to play some football. And you know, I'd grown up playing football with my brothers and. So that, to me, was a blast. You also had a bit of a fascination for a golf course that we see a lot of golf tournaments on Pebble Beach. I know you were pretty successful playing around there, too. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was lucky. I got to play uh, Pebble Beach for the California State Amateur back in those days, and that's where I met Julie Inkster, um, uh, played against her. She was 16. I think she had just basically just started playing golf and she was phenomenal. Um, and so I had uh, the opportunity to play against her. It's match play. And um, I think I beat her on the 19th or 20th hole or something, but um, you know, I hadn't heard about her. I hadn't heard about a lot of the ladies I played against in California. So um, it was I I opener for me to go down and play Pebble Beach. And I was really super lucky um, that I could get on and play Cypress Point. 
Um, oh, yeah. And I could yeah. I played mm. Cypress Point um, when I was down there for that tournament. That to me was like heaven. dying and going to heaven. I mean, I've never, <laughs> that's my favorite course of all time. And, you know, being able to play Pebble and Cypress and uh, just being in the 17-mile drive, it's just a magical place, as you guys know. It's, it is. It's yeah. so special. Um, and, you know, being able to win it on Pebble Beach, um, not once but twice, that was that was I, that was amazing. I mean, I, little girl from Nevada, nobody know, knew who I was, and I came out of nowhere and I won the tournament twice. Both of them. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was amazing. Well, you had a remarkable junior and amateur career, and we're going to talk about some of the other accomplishments. But before we do, I just want to ask you. Who were some of the early influences on you as a, as a youngster playing golf? Uh, were there professionals that you were able to rub shoulders with or had exposure to? Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Yeah, uh, a couple. Um, you know, obviously, Kathy Whitworth was, was like the name uh, that I had heard of uh, when I was younger. Um I didn't know anything about her really. I just had heard her name and it sounded like a regal, you know, like she should wear a crown or something kind of name. <laughs> and um, so I'd heard about her. Um, I had um, met uh, Susie Burning at my club uh, when I was about 16, I guess. Um, and I was, you know, I was starting to get a little bit better. And I met George Archer too, and I I got to play with them nine holes one time, and um, I I knew that Susie had won three U.S. Opens by then. I didn't know much about George Archer, um, but he was this tall, lanky guy, and oh, yeah, so. beautiful swing, and hit the ball a mile, and, and I got to play with them, and um, I had this really strong hook uh, hook grip. So, you know, I, I would hook the ball all the time and about on the fifth or sixth hole, you know, I hit these, I've been hitting this hook and getting frustrated and stuff and they could see I was getting frustrated and they, and they pulled me aside and they said, Patty says, they said, you know, you're never going to do anything in golf until you change your grip. And I just went, (laughs) Oh, Okay. So I finished out my nine holes with them and I went straight to my pro Ed Jones. I said, Eddie, I have to change my grip. And so we worked on it for a couple of days, probably, you know, and it just felt horrible. And I was like, I don't know if this is really what I need to do, but I'm going to try and stay with it. So I would, I would 
be driving my car. I just got my license, 16. I'm driving my car with the grip. Oh, the <laughs> I'd be up on the ski hill and I'd be, I'd play with my poles. And, you know, I mean, I, I tried everything I could to, to get that feeling of a good grip that was comfortable. Yeah. And, I, and I could trust it and, and understand that this is the grip that's going to change my life. And it yeah. did. And it did. That's the one thing that changed my life in golf was I had to change my grip. And I did. And, you know, it was, as you know, it was life-changing. Yeah. Bruce, we've heard a few other stories like that from players that started out with that strong, you know, you could see all four knuckles of that left hand and, and had to roll it back onto the top and get rid of that swooping hook because, as they were told, you're not going to win a lot of golf tournaments uh, snipe and hooking it out there. Well, sim- I had a similar thing too. I I used to hook it all the time, and I, then I kept playing with the good players, and I keep seeing them with a fairly neutral grip. And I said, you know, if I'm ever going to get any better, I got to change my grip. And I'm telling you, it you I don't know how long it took you, but it took me about nine months before I really felt comfortable standing up on the tee with a grip that was foreign to me from how yeah. I grew up. Yeah, it it took a long time, and that's why I said I was I was you know summertime I found out about this grip, and in the wintertime, I'm still trying to get it on my ski poles. So yeah, it took quite a while, and you know I understand when and I play with people, and they're like you know if you see anything, um, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> you want to tell me? I'm like. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, but it's going to ruin you for the day. <laughs> gonna, you don't have to change it now, but you might want to talk about changing it in the future. But it's, you know, it's, it starts with the grip. Yeah. Yeah. You asked for it. Here <laughs> yeah, it you asked for it. You got it. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this record. You mentioned three straight individual high school titles uh, uh, playing for, your, for Earl Wooster High School, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, you had a little bit of success in the Nevada Amateur. Yeah, yeah I did. It, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't like playing in the California Amateur at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, I think the last time I won um, in '78, I think uh, I won by 39 shots, and oh, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was mad that I didn't get to 40. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that was four straight Nevada uh, w- amateur wins, and then uh, and then uh, uh, during the end of those that run, you were you had won a couple of the California amateurs, which is probably a b- better competition, I guess. Huh? Much better, yeah. much better. Yeah, yeah. Had a chance to play in the finals of the nineteen seventy nine U.S. Women's Am at Memphis Country Club. Yeah, I uh, I it, Memphis Country Club was a beautiful place. Um, but I got smoked. Carolyn Hill just smoked me. I didn't play all that well. I was just super nervous. And I'd never really been in that type of, um, you know, stature in a tournament. And I just didn't really know how to handle it. I was super nervous. I didn't play well. And she smoked me. (laughs) But as you know, it's just an accumulation of these little nuggets of learning along the way, right? Yeah. It is. It really is. And more times you get there, the more comfortable you're going to get. I'm not sure you ever get completely comfortable. I never did. But um, yeah, I I just kept saying, you know, you get you just keep keep getting there because eventually it's you know it'll happen. And I truly believe that inside. And I 
I've, I held that, um, you know, that thought in my head, you just keep getting there, keep, keep knocking on the door and eventually it'll happen. You'll win. And, and, um, I, you know, obviously didn't have any idea how successful I was going to be, but, um, that was, that was a huge stepping stone for me to get to the finals in the women's amateur. And, um, you know, you know, I have the highest regards for Carolyn. She was so nice. She was so sweet. And, and, um, so, you know, we're good buddies. Um, and I, that was a great experience. And that was a, that was a true stepping stone for me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, the timing of Title IX when it came along, too. I, I really remember this and how it affected our university teams and so forth. You know, a lot of the players, as you know, the, the older players that we've talked to, they had no opportunities to play in high school or in college because there were no women's teams. And so they might have played on the boys' team in high school, might have played on the men's team in college, uh, maybe not. Uh, they just didn't have that opportunity. A lot of them just went right to, from high school or, you know, 17, 18 years old, right onto the LPGA Tour. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I, I, uh, I was kind of a late bloomer. So that's why I, I had to go through those motions, uh, my late teens, early twenties to really figure out, um, where I belonged and if I belonged. And, um, I would keep asking my pro ed, I'd say, Eddie, am I ready yet? He's like, Nope, Nope, you're not ready. <laughs> so I just kept plugging away. And then, um, after I lost the the amateur and I uh, was put on the Curtis Cup team, um, and that was a huge honor. Um, my my partner was Lori Castillo from Hawaii, and the two of us were like two little bulldogs over at Saint Pierre in uh, Wales. It Wales, was, yeah, yeah, it was great fun. Uh, you had a pretty good record there too. I, yeah, I don't think you got beaten, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, and again, nobody really had heard about me. I mean, they knew about Lori cause she won the, uh, I think she won, uh, well, I forget what it is. Um, anyway, she won something and she got on the team and, and we were, we were unbeatable. That was really fun. And she, and she and I are these two little short things that, you know, were taken on the, the twin towers of Maureen Medill and, um, um, oh gosh, what's her name? The, the other great player from over there at that time. Anyway, um, you know, we're these two little things and we're up against these tall gals. <laughs> and that was, that was pretty fun. Well, as Bruce mentioned, four and O was Patty Sheehan opens up day one foursomes and they win five and three. <laughs> and then they go to the afternoon session for singles and she prevails three and two. Second day foursomes in the morning, up three and two, and then finishes off her singles match five and four. So pretty comfortable, Gosh. all those victories, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I'd never been, you know, across the pond before. I got to fly in a big jet, and I got to see a, like a Broadway show over in London. I mean, it was it was quite the trip. I, you know... My eyes were, <laughs> this yeah. is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So. Just another little building block of experience, yeah. right? That right. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it was great, great fun, and um, uh, great memories. Um, wonderful teammates, and you know, we're still in touch today. 
That yeah. same year in 1980, you also won the uh, Intercollegiate Golf Championship for women, playing out of San Jose State at the time, right? Right. I had uh, transferred from Nevada. I spent three years at Nevada. And the last year, if I, I remember correctly, I was the only player from Nevada for women's golf. And I played on. I played a lot with the men uh, for practice. But um, uh, then I, they said, you know, we, we don't want to have a women's golf team anymore. Nobody seems to be interested. So um, they said, you can transfer anywhere you want and not lose a year of eligibility. So um, I almost went to Tulsa where Carolyn Hill was, was uh, on the team. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know, I think I want to stay closer to home to Reno uh, so I can get up and go skiing in the winter. And, you know, just the, the, the trip back home is not too far. So I decided on San Jose state where uh, Julie Inkster was going to school and some other really good players. And I thought, you know, that's going to be a good team. Um, and I'd like to go there. So I asked and they said, yeah, sure. We'd love to have you. So I, I did. I went down to San Jose State for a year and um, won the individual title. Um, it was the AIAW at the time, and which is now the NC2As, yeah. and um, in New Mexico. So the university course there in New Mexico. Um, and then the, uh, on Sunday afternoon of that tournament, I turned in my LPGA application, went to the uh -huh. mailbox, Threw it in there. And I said, "I'm turning pro." And so, uh, a, a month later, almost to the day, a month later, I went back there to the same golf course to qualify for the LPGA in the middle of summer uh, of 1980, and I won that too. Um, actually, by more strokes than I won <laughs> the college yeah. tournament. Wow! Right? But um, yeah, yeah, it was that was. That was a great time in my life because everything fit together like pieces of the puzzle, you know, yeah. just like one thing after another. And it was building and building and building and then, you know, culminating in, um, in winning the AIAW there and getting out on tour. So did you get the uh, go-ahead from Eddie at that point in time, or were you still deciding to do that by yourself, young lady? No, I got I got the go-ahead from. Oh, Eddie. good. Said, good. You can put you can put your application in, and um, it was funny because I I, I remember playing um, uh, I don't know a round of golf with Julie Inkster, I think at her home course, and and we were talking, and I said oh, I said do. And what am I going to do? I, I don't, I'm out of eligibility. I can't play for college anymore. And I said, you think I, you think I should turn pro? She's like, yeah, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Good answer. Come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word. And tell your friends, until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Went straight down the middle, quite a way.